Whether you're a pro athlete, an exhausted parent, or you spend all day in an office chair, CBDMD wants to give you the support you need to make it through the day. CBD Freeze and Recover are an outstanding duo of topical products with specialized formulas to provide targeted relief where it matters most. And to make it even easier to try Freeze, Recover, and every other CBDMD product, you can take 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com, promo code NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm Dave Romillo, credentialed reporter and the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episode. I'm recording this episode in between games as Miami gets set to kick off a season-defining seven-game road trip, which I'll talk about later in the show. But I also wanted to answer some of the questions you all sent in following Miami's third consecutive win, this time over the Knicks. So think of this as an unexpected mailbag episode where I'll talk about Goran Dragic's return, Kelly Olenek, and whether this season is a lost cause. But I'll start off with something more on everyone's mind, and that's Duncan Robinson. After going 0-7 against New York, I checked the numbers, and Robinson is shooting 32% over the last 10 games. Not good. So he gave me a perfect opportunity to answer this question that comes in from Adrian. He writes, How does Miami get Duncan freed up a bit easier? Seems as if the defense has been glued to him for much of the season. Well, like most things, it's a little bit of everything. And there's not one particular answer that I feel comfortable giving as to the reason why Duncan is struggling. I hinted at it in my tweet last night about the specific poor shooting over the last 10 game stretch. There might be something psychological taking place because honestly, I can't see anything else. I looked at some of the shots he took last season. I took a lot, look at a lot of the shots that he's been taking this season, and nothing seems out of the ordinary. Not really. He took difficult shots last year, made a lot of them, made a lot of them this year, has been struggling with that over the last couple games. Nothing seems to stand out. But then you look at the rest of the lineup, and I think that's where the real problem lies. Is that last year, for most of the season, he was starting alongside Myers Leonard, shot 45% on the season. He, shot, he played alongside Goran Dragic, who was shooting substantially better than he is this season. Even Kendrick Nunn was a little bit of an unexpected boost offensively because nobody really knew what to expect from him early last season. He was shooting, I'm about to say that as he is this time, but just different impact on the spacing because you don't have to, you didn't know what Kendrick Nunn was capable of. And so you had to respect that shot a little bit more. I think teams are sagging off of Kendrick a little bit more. They're aware of what he's capable of. They know he can be somewhat inconsistent, plus his playing time has been somewhat up and down. So overall, I'd say it's the lineups that Duncan's been playing with. I think that's a factor as well. It's just there could be something else, an injury perhaps. He really, you know, he was shooting okay to start the season. I mean, I guess you could say probably better than okay. About 47%, including three-point and two-point shots. But if you look at what's happened over the last 10 games, I you can't really see much of a difference. He's still curling off screens. He's still running the dribble handoffs. I think there's still a big part of the offense. They're trying to get him going more often than not. Those shots just haven't been falling. So I, there has to be a psychological factor here. I think the conversation then tends to evolve into whether or not Duncan can be a significant player for this team moving forward. And I guess a lot of that has to do with his contract because it is such a huge question mark. Given what the market has shown over the last couple of seasons, particularly Joe Harris's contract in Brooklyn, I think a lot of people expect Duncan to be cashing in this summer somewhere in the vicinity of around $20 million a year. As Heat fans, you're all aware 
of his limitations. From the outside, I think you could say Duncan is incredibly valuable as a player. He still holds value, even if you see him closely. But there are restrictions. There are things that he doesn't do particularly well. He's not a gifted playmaker. Doesn't really create his own shot. He's not exactly a best defender, even though he's capable of improving and he has shown improvement over the course of his career. So I think there's some upside there, but that also is tempered given his age. He's not exactly a young player. Can he take another leap? Possibly. Have we seen the very best of him? And is it downhill from here? That's also a possibility. I don't know what else he can do to add more versatility to a game that is basically built upon his three-point shooting. If his three-point shooting isn't falling, then what else can you expect out of Duncan? Maybe it's just a limitation of the offensive schemes and the plays that they specifically run for him. I don't think there's much to that. He can only put the ball down just enough to actually create plays, something he's done sporadically this season and even started to do last year, particularly in the bubble. But, you know, he's not quick. He's not a great ball handler. He's got okay size, but he doesn't draw fouls particularly well. So I don't know. I mean, I think they just want him to keep shooting. And so there's the flip side of, well, he's not hitting those. He still commands some gravity, but there are issues there. And I think a lot of people are starting to wonder whether or not there's a potential of trading Duncan Robinson. I don't I don't think it's going to get to that point. I mean, I think you would include him in a deal for a superstar that provides a lot of the same shooting, but I don't think you're going to just trade Duncan Robinson because you're concerned about his contract. That just hasn't been something that Miami has done historically, particularly when they're trying to make a run for a title this year or at least get a deep playoff run. I don't know that you're just going to move Duncan Robinson's contract because you're worried about what happens as a free agent next season. You're going to probably match whatever offer he gets. Duncan, to his credit, will take whatever offer sheets are available to him and then have Miami match those. So you know he's going to command a lot of money on the market. If for nothing else, probably a competitor in the Eastern Conference that wants to take a chance and see whether or not Miami is outbid. That could happen. But as for this season is concerned, I think he'll be able to turn it around. I, I just... This hasn't been the Duncan that we're so used to seeing. And I don't think that there's anything in the way he's being covered that indicates that teams have keyed in on him. Yeah, they're trying to stick with him. I think New York did a very good job, because they have a good defense, of having somebody shadow him very, very closely, where they're not giving him a lot of space. And part of that has to be, again, with the fact that he's playing alongside Jimmy Butler, who's shooting a career worse from behind the line, Bam Adebayo, who's not a reliable outside shooter. You've got Kendrick Nunn, again, 35% from three. And that's, I think, given some of the big games that he's had lately. And then you've also got Tyler Hero or Goran Dragic or somebody that's playing alongside him. And, you know, these guys aren't – they're not exactly commanding double teams or, or incredible attention from the perimeter. Now, even Kelly Olenek, who's been starting the last couple of games alongside Duncan Robinson, he's been shooting better of late. But that's tapered off even from where he was last season. Again, that's – his role last season playing alongside Dragic and Tyler Hero, who were commanding much more defensive attention. Now he's starting. He's shooting well, playing alongside particularly Jimmy Butler. But you, he just doesn't command that kind of respect from defenses. I think everybody's very aware of what Duncan can do. He's the big fear, the concern. You don't want him going 7 of 9 because that's basically a backbreaker, as we saw in the playoffs when he had those kinds of games. And I think they're trying to limit what he can do but there's still the option for him, or at least the opportunity for him to knock down shots. There, they were shots against the Knicks earlier in the season, later in this 10-game stretch that's been particularly bad where he's had wide-open looks. He's just not shooting them very well. So 
I think he has to get out of his head a little bit. He keeps trying to put up shots. 0 for 7. That's encouraging, if nothing else, just because, well, you don't want him to get in a deep funk where he can't seem to get his way out of it. I think you chalk it up to bad defense, uh, or great defense, rather, and you hope that he moves on. Bad offense, bad shooting, bad opportunities. Against the Houston Rockets, which is Miami's next opponent on Thursday night, I'd say that he there's a better chance of him going off a little bit. Now, Victor Oladipo will be guarding him most of the time. At least that's my feeling. Um, I, I just, I'm still not sure whether or not Duncan's able to capitalize on that matchup. It should be one that he should be able to exploit. We'll have to wait and see. Again, I don't think he gets traded. I think there's a concern about who he plays alongside. I think once you start to see more consistency in that starting lineup, defenses will have to be kept a little bit more honest. But right now, you're not concerned about Jimmy shooting. You're not concerned about anybody else in that starting lineup, maybe with the exception of Kelly. Even Tyler is struggling a little bit with his shots. So there just doesn't seem to be the same kind of attention commanded from defenses as they were last year. And that makes it easier to target what Duncan can do, especially if you limit those close handoffs that he runs so perfectly with Bam on occasion. So uh, just something to look at. We'll have to keep monitoring it. But I did want to talk about a little bit more of the listener questions, uh, including about Goran Dragic and his potential return, how that impacts the lineup, and much, much more. I'll break it all down here on the number one Miami Heat podcast for the latest news, rumors, and more. This episode is brought to you by 1010. Now, you may have read about this in the New York Times, InStyle Magazine, or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring, and they're available now exclusively at BlueNile.com. And when they're gone, they're gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people, and with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced items. If you're ready to mark a special commitment or you're looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings is now available exclusively at BlueNile.com. the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today. It's a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. So start your day off with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. Just trying to get into some more of these mailbag questions, kind of, sort of, ersatz mailbag. mailbag. Uh, this next one comes in from Philly Heat. He's been a frequent supporter of the show, so ch- shout out Philly. When Goran comes back, he writes, I think we should keep the starting five intact and allow Tyler Goran to be Sparks off the bench. Tyler slash Goran, excuse me. Is there a better pair of guards coming off the bench anywhere else in the league? That is an interesting question. And no, I can't really think of anything. I, You know, given the way the lineups have been around the league, broken up by COVID injury and all the normal interactions of an NBA season, it's hard to really figure it out. I like the combination of Tyler Goran particularly offensively. Now, you also have to consider they're not particularly good defensively. Tyler, a little bit better than Goran, although Goran has his moments, as we saw in the playoffs. Overall, I'd say they're going to give up as many points or more than they actually are able to score. And, you know, Goran is a concern. Look, I like the pairing. I have high hopes that when they're playing their best, it's a formidable duo that can at least play good enough defense to – still be positive factors out on the court. 
but there are injury concerns. Tyler missed some games. It's just it's difficult to predict exactly how impactful it'll be, and you're going to have to get contributions from people off the bench as well, others. And if Kelly's in the starting lineup, Andre Iguodala hasn't been great. He's been great defensively, so he can make up for some of the issues with Tyler Gorham, but if they're giving up you know, easy drives to the basket, that's going to put Iguodala in a really tough spot where he has to slide over. That's going to leave somebody else open. You're going to yield a lot of three-pointers. There's going to be some tinkering there. I, my feeling is that Spo probably brings Goron back. He's not going to be available against the Houston Rockets. He didn't travel with the team. I would imagine that he'll probably join them midway through the seven-game road trip. We'll have to keep an eye on that. But I think given how far behind Miami is and the kind of hole they have to crawl out of regarding their stand, their record and their current place in the standings, Spo will probably feel a little bit more comfortable being bringing Goron back into the starting lineup and seeing whether or not Kendrick Nunn can facilitate alongside Tyler Hero. I don't know. That's that's a that's not exactly ideal either. But you can stagger them somewhat. Maybe we already saw that Kendrick's minutes were being really inconsistent when Goron was available. So, you know, I I, I think Spolstra should do something more to help keep Goron fresh. And if that means sitting him every three games, letting him just recover, then so be it. Like the spark that he provides offensively is fantastic, but we need it more consistently, and we certainly need it during the playoffs. You don't need it even in a seven-game road trip that could potentially define your season. So if it were up to me, I think Kendrick stays. I think he's figured out a way of playing alongside Jimmy, and Jimmy is an active, you know, try, actively trying to get Kendrick going every game. So to me, that would be something that should probably be the case moving forward. And I think Goran and Tyler, given the success they had last season, could still find a way to work together off the bench. This next question comes in from T-Glass, who writes in, Kelly was huge tonight. Do you attribute it to getting good Kelly tonight as opposed to bad Kelly, or do you think the control he played with utilizing shot fakes and sidestepping is something that he can carry moving forward? Now, Kelly did play 31 minutes in that win over the Knicks. He also scored 20 points, including 7 of 10 shooting, three, 6 of 8, excuse me, from 3-point range. Missed both of his free throws, which is really, really strange. Only pulled down 3 rebounds, but also uh, logged a, a block as well. So, uh, not bad night for Kelly. Offensively, he looked comfortable early on. He was a really big factor for Miami, helping to build their lead early on that eventually the Knicks were able, was able to erase pretty conveniently. So, great night for Kelly, let's be honest. Do I think it's just good Kelly versus bad Kelly? I think it is good Kelly. I think the control he played with, to T-Glass's point, is something that we've seen from him all the time. He's comfortable. He has the kind of skills where he can step to the side there, avoid a defender. You know, he, he took some weird shots over the last couple of games that I know I had a lot of Heat fans railing against him. But the truth is, overall, he, that's just part of his game. And it was part of his game on... Uh, Wednesday night against the Knicks, too. Tuesday night, excuse me. It's just, this is who he is offensively. He's going to take these shots. He's skilled enough of a seven-footer so he can move from side to side. He's got a nice you know, dribble. He's not as goofy as a lot of people might think he is. He's not bam, but that's an aberration. He's a good ball handler, a good playmaker, can pass the ball fairly well. We all tend to forget the fact that he was you know, a guard growing up and then just had this growth spurt that's kind of forced him to the center position, but I think that's a big part of why he shoots as well as he does is he just developed that naturally, organically over the course of his life. So I think it can be something he moves, he does 
incorporate moving forward, but it's just because that's part of his game. That's not going away. If anything, it's just a matter of him doing it consistently, which is unfortunately always the issue with Kelly. It's not about what he can do. It's whether he can do it consistently. We all know the package is there. He's been a great player throughout his NBA career in terms of potential games that kind of whet the appetite where you go, oh, wow, if we can get this kind of version of Kelly, the ceiling is incredibly high. That's not the case. He just does this for one game, two games, maybe three out of four, and then there's that game in between, and then a couple games after that stretch where he's basically unrecognizable, a negative impact, missing shots as he has recently. You don't know what you're getting out of Kelly. And so that's the concern. Can he do this? Absolutely. Will he? Who knows? He never has. And it's unfortunate. There's no way of knowing it. I have asked him about it. Uh, I think, yeah, actually, prior to this media day, it seems like it. No, not this media day from this last season. Pardon me. It was from last season. Last time we were actually able to interact with players, not during COVID. So it has not been the case other than via Zoom. But I asked him about it, and unfortunately, I don't have the interview. I can't play the transcripts over, but I, I did ask him, what, what's the issue with the inconsistency? He said there was an injury concern. It's also he felt like he was up and down in Spolster's doghouse. He wasn't quite sure what to do to get consistent playing minutes. Uh, he just he wasn't really able to figure out what his role is, and so it was hard to, for him to figure it out. Last year, I think he kind of thrived knowing he was coming off the bench and, and knowing that there were limited expectations for him. He was just going to be providing a, a boost, playing alongside Tyler, who took a lot of attention, and Gorn, who still commands a lot of attention. So that, I think that's that's why you know Kelly succeeded uh, for last season as a, a you know occasional spark plug. But he does have concerns about his place. Now that he's starting, and I think he's going to be the starter moving forward, maybe he can fit into a much more comfortable pattern, a rhythm that he, he seems to be – thriving in but I just you don't know whether or not it's going to last for more than a game or two and so that's always been the issue and it will continue to be moving forward this next question comes in from Johnny Gomez who writes in are we supposed to be happy that we are barely better than the Knicks right now we are using the hell out of Butler just to barely squeeze out a win against the Knicks what do you think they need to do to be better well okay a lot to break down there are you supposed to be happy? Yeah, I can't tell you what to do. I mean, I've seen both sides of the equation. I think given where Miami's been, the struggles they've been through this season, any win is a good one. By any means necessary, I saw somebody respond to me when I mentioned something along those same lines. And I feel like that's important to consider. Right now, you get the bad wins, and then you eventually hope to get to a point where you can build good wins under your belt. They achieved a lot of that last year. Seems less likely and much more difficult a task for them this season. Given all that, I think you just accept what you can out of beating up lesser teams. And it's questionable whether or not the Knicks are actually lesser. They've got a much more talented group than they did last season, a much more clear role. Julius Randle is playing at an all-star level, even though he struggled against Miami in that second game in the back-to-back set, or the home-and-home set, rather. But, you know, you take what you can get. You really do. I, I think you, you know, shouldn't be happy necessarily. I'm sure Eric Spolstra has huge concerns. But it's a relief to be able to beat a challenging team like the Knicks that plays good defense. I do have or share your concerns, Johnny, about Butler's minutes. He played a lot of minutes against the Knicks. Not necessarily what you'd want from him. 
given the fact that he came back from a prolonged absence, that his health is always a concern, that there could be ankle aggravation somewhere down the line that will limit who he can be and take him out of maybe being a big part in the postseason. You never want to risk injury. I know Jimmy's not going to sit needlessly, and he was necessary out there. That's the other thing, too, is that he had to play him for as long as he did because without him, Miami's offense and defense was just a mess. So what do I think they need to do to be better? Where do I begin? It starts with defense, right? I think we're starting to see more trapping from this team, whereas the zone caught everybody off guard last season, and they still employ it pretty regularly and to effect this season overall. I don't know how much you can continue to rely on it, and it's nice to see Spolstra adding a new wrinkle to his defense, the trapping uh, when the high screen roll or, or trying to limit what the guard can do as he's bringing the ball up. It's been mostly effective, just forcing the ball handler perhaps into a turnover, into a bad pass. Look, you're still going to get players like Malik Monk or Reggie Bullock knock down those shots because they're just great shooters, and you have to pick your poison, basically. You try to limit those shots as much as possible. We'll see when they face a team like Utah during the seven-game road strip that's shooting at a very high level. The Clippers are shooting at a very high level, too, even though they'll probably be missing Paul George, or at least it seems like they might. We'll have to wait and see about that, but that's a big part of it. More consistent offense, sharing the ball, a more aggressive Bam at a bio, all these things that we've been talking about pretty consistently all season. That's It's just what they have to do. They have to find their identity. They have to be able to implement it. They have to give greater effort, and they have to stay healthy. I mean, you cannot discount how much of a role that's played not having any kind of consistent minutes. Juan Fermedieta writes, Seems Precious is getting less and less minutes lately. Why has Spoke cut his minutes as of late? No clear indication there. If I had to guess, my feeling is that he is concerned about Precious' lack of polish. He's not a, he, he does have some touch, but he's not a go-to scorer, never has been throughout the course of his career. He limits spacing. I think that's a big part of why you don't play him alongside Bam at bio, even though Bam's mid-range game has been off lately but still capable of beauty on occasion without pressures being able to space the floor and with Miami already struggling to find space to get open looks from the perimeter what kind of lineup are you going to play him with Andre Guadalla you know if you get him out there you get Jimmy out there you get Bam out there that's everybody's shooting under 30 percent Bam shooting technically over that just because of limited opportunities but I mean there's not a lot of spacing there it's tough to get the right kind of mix, the right kind of lineup. And if he's duplicating what Bam can do and not nearly as well, then you want to go with Bam as often as you can. I just – I'm not sure what the role is for Precious moving forward. I'm I'm getting to a point where I'm starting to think that they'll probably move on from him or figure try to figure something out in the offseason because for now he's just – he can't do anything so well where he's going to warrant a consistent amount of playing time. He gives great effort. There's always hustle with him. It's not always fine-tuned, and it could be problematic. And he gets into foul trouble. He makes silly fouls on occasion. There's the effort. There's the defense overall I think is great. But, you know, you're, you're not getting anything out of him offensively. And for a team that's struggling as much as they have been to score, I think you can't afford to really have him out on the floor very often, especially when you want to trust your veterans like Iguodala, Butler, et cetera. And, and I mean, if you're giving up, you know, you've got Gabe Vincent out there playing some minutes. Avery Bradley, when he comes back, he's not a code to score. Goron, if he's out there, that combination, that's probably a big part of it. Now that I think about it, even as I'm going through this answer here, that Goron, 
Precious duo was really effective. We saw the lobs without Dragic out there. Precious is probably a little bit off his game to some degree, not as effective. Goran's much better at trying to find ways of getting him going and, and try to find him in spots. And Goran is so good at driving to the hoop that he commands that kind of attention, which makes it easier for Precious to cut to the basket and catch the lob, et cetera. So that's probably a big part of it as well. I'll look ahead to the longest road trip in franchise history and whether or not the Heat should just abandon this season. I'll tell you what to expect from that road trip and more in the next segment here on Locked on Heat. But no matter what happens on that road trip, you can count on Bet Online because it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. If you want to bet on The Bachelorette, now's your chance to do it. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Madness is just a few months away, but the future of the NBA is on display right now. Get a head start on your next year's draft analysis by subscribing to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast. Draft guru Chad Ford has his first big board of the year out with profiles on Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, and more. Subscribe to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast wherever you get podcasts. I wanted to answer this next question that comes in from Webby. He writes, should the Heat hold a course and effectively write the season off or pursue a trade and try and win now? That is a tough question to answer because I, I don't know that the first part of it, holding the course, is effectively writing off the season. I still have a belief in this team that once they get some players back, once Goron and Bradley come back, and with Jimmy back in the fold, they'll be in good shape. They've lost so many minutes, gone through so many different starting lineups. It's hard to get a real pulse reading on this group. But we started to see signs over the last few games of Jimmy steering the ship in the right way just because of his incredible talent, ability to read a game perfectly, and his indomitable will. I think he's carrying this team emotionally, statistically, in every other way, shape, or form. And that it has to be an encouraging sign for this team moving forward. So I think you do hold a course. You try to win as much as you can over the next couple of games, especially during the seven-game road trip, but you also pursue a trade, and you're also always looking to win now. This team isn't going to tank anything. There's no pick. There's no reason for throwing it away. You try to keep this team intact, get internal development and consistency from everybody on the roster, have them reach another level, have Jimmy do what he does better than anybody, well, maybe as well as anybody, and Still try to figure out a way to acquire the right player to shore up your perimeter defense, to provide a little bit more three-point shooting, a little bit more wing defense, etc. There are moves to be made on the periphery that can still help this team win and win consistently. Steve Kolakidis writes in, Dave, can I ask what is this obsession with Americans to have the national anthem played before any sporting event? Not sure other countries do the same. It only happens in Australia for the footy. Anzac Day and Grand Final Day. These must be things for, I don't know, Australians to know of. I, I guess I could have looked it up. I did not. I know footy, probably uh, slang for football. Sorry if I sound a little ignorant here. 
Americans tend to be that and self-centered, which is partly why there's this obsession with the national anthem. Uh, anyway, Steve writes in, not sure if many others, but definitely not for every game. Good point. It's the histor- the historical aspect of this, where it was played on occasion by, quote unquote, the nation's pastime during World War One, is pretty well known and still overlooked. The big controversy, and if you have not heard about this, it's that the Dallas Mavericks made it known that they were not playing the national anthem during the first few games of the season. I think the first 13 or so home games, I can't remember the exact numbers. The point is they weren't playing the national anthem at the America Airlines Center. Nobody seemed to notice. Then Tim Cato of The Athletic wrote a piece about it. Mark Cuban said they don't want to play the national anthem. And then the NBA has since released a statement saying everybody's going to play the damn national anthem. You better believe it. You know, the, the Mavericks, the Heat, you name it. An anthem is going to be played. Not that the Heat wouldn't or have not been playing the anthem. In the games that I've covered, they've certainly played it. But they wanted to emphasize to, I guess, people complaining that the Mavs would follow suit here. Disappointing. Because I see from the Mavericks' perspective, half their roster is from another country. Dwight Powell is Canadian. Luka Doncic, Slovenian. Maxi Kleber, German, etc., etc. There are a number of players throughout the league that don't really care about having the national anthem played because it's not their national anthem. They don't feel anything. They play here. They play to make money and to earn their contract, not for any other reason. It's not about nationalism. It's not about support for your country. It's not about symbolism, of which, again, when you go down that rabbit hole, you probably don't want to follow that song too closely and and the person who wrote it and (laughs) realize that that's what's defining your country. Nothing should define your country other than the actual day-to-day interaction of people. And especially when you consider the number of people of color who are absolutely sublimated and reduced to less than full status in this country. Given our history, given what currently happens, so much of what happens to people who are Americans, who aren't being treated fairly, that this fierce pride and this ridiculous song that most people don't even know the words to just rubs me the wrong way. I know I'll probably listen, you know, I'll probably lose some listeners here. People will probably complain about it. I don't personally care to have it played before a game. I feel like it's so what ridiculous for everybody now to be complaining about what Mark Cuban was doing when no one realized it. No one noticed during the first few games of the season that they weren't playing the anthem until Tim effing Cato wrote about it and brought it attention for good reasons. I know what the rationale was. But unfortunately, it's turned into this ridiculous backlash. Instead of inspiring other teams possibly to follow suit, instead, it's gotten this weird order from the NBA and the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, saying, no, you you better play that national anthem. And that's part of the problem, is that if you don't want to listen to that national anthem, what are you supposed to do? Can you sit during the national anthem without being somewhat insulted or whether or not people start to concern, you know, criticize you for your decision. I know certainly not in the NBA. I mean, look what's happened when they've casually and harmlessly taken a knee during a national anthem, a song that shouldn't even be played because it's a sporting events. And I've seen so many people tweet the same point. It's like, if you're going to do this for NFL games and major league baseball and NBA games, why not do it for anything? Do you do it for bowling events? You do it before a movie theater? You know, you don't even do it to start a school. You pledge allegiance, which is ridiculous again because you're, you're, you're <laughs> don't get me started. I just feel it's silly. You can love this country and still recognize that it needs work. And holding on to these tributes, these symbols from a past that is so bloody and evil doesn't make you a patriot. It makes you an idiot. 
There's no way that you should be supporting the national anthem because what it represents is evil and wrong. It's from a different time period. It's archaic. It's obsolete. You want to love this country? Be a better person and let everybody experience their lives, express themselves in a way where they're comfortable. That's what being an American is all about. This next question comes in from Heat Culture DC. He writes in, if the Heat were a band, what would their name be? I personally like Jimmy Butler and the Softies, but I'd like to hear what you'd name them. So this is a, a nice change of pace as far as questions are concerned. Uh, I like Steve's question about the national anthem, but I like these kind of questions too. This feels more like something I would have answered with Wes Goldberg once upon a time. He loved these kinds of questions. Great theoreticals of which we had many, many a show based, based on. So Jimmy Butler and the Softies are good. I like Jimmy and the Flukes. I think that's a, a great one because Jimmy seems to be carrying everybody and everybody else in his roster, even an all-star like Bam Adebayo, aside from his defensive effort, is still somewhat fluky inconsistency. You could call it just the, the inconsistencies because, you know, given Jimmy's in and out of nature of the lineup, maybe he's been inconsistent as well. So there's lots of different possibilities there. I don't know. Jimmy Butler and his softies. This team isn't soft. They just they mess up a lot. They, they make mistakes and... They'll figure it out. They'll fine-tune it. I think there's a way of correcting and writing the ship so it's much more similar to what we saw last season. But for now, I, I think calling them soft might be a little over the top. Now, I I did want to get into what the seven-game road trip represents because I think you step away from it a little bit, and clearly this is the defining moment of your season. You've had your issues. You've had injuries. You've had COVID. You've had Jimmy out for three weeks. Doom and gloom. I get it. Now you're kind of trying to build back. You get a nice cushion there from your beating down of the New York Knicks, and you move on to a seven-game trip, which is the hardest in franchise history. Up next, you've got the Houston Rockets. That's a challenge. It's one that's absolutely winnable. I'm not even sure if John Wall's going to be playing. He sat out the last game. He might be in. He might be out. Not great because he's the kind of player that can unfortunately go off for 30. You've got Deshaun Tate. You've got... Uh, Daniel House, even maybe P.J. Tucker. So many different players. Boogie Cousins could go off. Uh, look, he's not the Cousins of yesteryear, but he's still a guy who could stretch the floor. And given Miami's penchant for giving up three-point shots, somebody's going to go off. And you just hope that Miami finds a way to figure it out. You're not going to be able to contain Wall the same way you did Alfred Payton. You know, this isn't Emmanuel quickly a rookie. This is John Wall. Even lesser John Wall is still much more dangerous than any of those players. So that's a half. You have to win that game. You're going against Utah, the best team in the league with the best record, with one of the top offenses and defenses. They've been phenomenal this year. If you haven't watched them, you're doing them a disservice. Dwayne Wade, model clone, Donovan Mitchell, phenomenal. Rudy Gobert. Excellent defensively. You're getting great team effort, a shift from Quinn Snyder offensively. So much good work being done in Utah. You have to watch them. They're exciting. They're fun to watch. They're different, and they're good. They're finding ways to win. This is a really, really good team that's not getting as much publicity because they're Utah. Not since the days of Carl Malone and John Stockton do they get the kind of attention that they probably should be getting now. So that is probably a scheduled loss. An interesting Look, Miami's struggle in Utah historically – most of that because you're coming off of a back-to-back -back against Denver, and it's a tough challenge to play in Utah, but also because Utah has been a very bad team or a very good team on occasion and always seems to exploit Miami to some degree. It's not a great matchup. Given how much they shoot, how well they shoot, and Miami's defensive issues, you could probably pencil that for a loss. The Clippers, all up in the air, depending on Paul George. If he plays, Miami's chances are better. If not, hell, Nicholas Batum could look like an all-star. 
So you already know firsthand that Miami is capable of losing to the Los Angeles Clippers, even if they're shorthanded without Kawhi Leonard, without Pat Beverly, without Paul George. You still wind up losing a huge lead and blowing a game that you should have absolutely won. The Golden State Warriors, not as powerful as they once been, but Steph Curry, still really damn good. And, you know, in the MVP conversation, and rightfully so, he's going to go off for 60. Nobody's going to be able to stop what he does. Now, you hope that he goes off to a point where you can shut everybody else down or you sick Jimmy on him 100%, but that's foul trouble waiting to happen. I don't know that there's an easy answer there. I mean, Maybe Avery, no, Avery Bradley's still going to be out then too. There's nobody in Miami's rotation that can try and even stick with Curry. Given his incredible range and his ball handling and his passing, he's going to try to get everybody going. So again, you kind of just have to live with what Curry can do. Hope that he doesn't kill you. Hope that he doesn't score 60. And then just try and shut everybody else down because he's going to get his one way or the other. Against the Sacramento Kings, again, De'Aaron Fox, a tough matchup. Miami find a way to beat them last time. Perhaps you're looking at future Heat player Harrison Barnes here. That's another one that you have to win. This is probably one of the most winnable games on this stretch against the Los Angeles Lakers. That's another scheduled loss for me. Uh, you know, I think the Lakers are really good, and while they have their issues, they're also arguably the deepest team in the league. They have two superstars, even though Davis hasn't been playing lately. That's still a really good team. They want to prove that they still have Miami's number. I can't imagine Miami going in there, even if they're at full strength. And they won't be because Bradley will still be out and challenging the Lakers in Los Angeles. That's too big a game. It's on ABC. It's on a Saturday game. Saturday night in Los Angeles on ABC. What a crazy game that it should be. And still, I just, I would love to find a way or see a way where Miami can come out with a victory here. That seems a little unlikely. Next, you wrap up the trip on Monday, February 22nd, 12 days from now against the Oklahoma City Thunder. So you're playing every other night on the seven-game road trip. Not ideal. Against the Thunder, you could beat them. This is a team that has some skill there. You've got some skilled players in Shea Gilgis, Alexander. I was really high on what the Thunder were doing early in the season. They're still somewhat competitive. I can understand why it, it will be a challenge, though. Again, you're in Oklahoma City. You'd hope that Lou Dort doesn't kill you. You hope that uh, Shea Kiltish Alexander doesn't wind up going off for 30. Uh, you hope that George Hill uh, somehow gets contained. These are all players that could find a way to beat the Heat, and that's not exactly ideal there. So, you know, given everything that we're looking at, a seven-game road trip, I'm looking realistically at a three-and-four finish. That would not be ideal. That would put Miami's current record at 13-18. and 18. Still five games under 500. Probably still in that playoff race. And then having to find a way to win every other game moving forward. If not, you could wind up really being out of the playoff race in a hurry. Not because there's so much dominance in the Eastern Conference, but just because you don't want to lose that much ground, especially because you don't see any pot of gold at the end of this particular seasonal rainbow. So it's not going to be easy. Miami has to find a way to figure out a successful road trip, four and three. A damn good one, five and two. If you get lucky and you find a way to beat the Warriors or the, even the Lakers or Clippers, then you come away there feeling very good about your chances. Four and three would be fantastic. Five and two, almost impossible to think of. That's where the team is. You have to take that into consideration. There's no, again, there's no silver lining here. They've got to find a way to figure it out. And I think they can still be a much better team. It's not all doom and gloom. It's not so bad. But just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at lockdownheat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskHelloHeat. Be sure to please subscribe to the show and leave a review. I'm David Ramil signing off and thanking you as always for your support.